So apparently, um, it was for a very short period of time, but apparently I was trending in Belgium. <laughs> in Belgium? <laughs> what did you do? I was trending. What did you do? I was trending. <laughs> Why weren't you trending in the UK? I was trending in a good way in Belgium. It was, it was really weird. We were in the commentary box at Melbourne Park on the Rod Laver Arena. And as you know, before matches the players can practice if they're on that court Simona Hallett was out there so I'm just watching her warm up ahead of her match with Serena Williams and suddenly I look to the left and I see Thierry van Klimput the well up until a couple of days ago the the long-term coach of David Goffer now we know how closely I follow David Goffer so I was like wow what's he doing there and it was actually you were the first to alert me to the news that they had separated yes and I I didn't believe you, I have to say. Um, so I see Thierry Van Klimper and I think, hang on a second, what's he doing there? Then Courtney Nguyen, friend of ours, a senior writer for WTN Cider, came into the box. And I said, Courtney, is that Thierry Van Klimper? She's like, that's amazing. You, you've got to put a tweet out. And I thought, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I don't know what to say. So then Courtney did a little tweet and said, eagle-eyed Gigi Salmon has spotted Thierry Van Klimper working with Simona Hallett. And then I put out a tweet just saying, separated with David Goffin uh, one day, the next day he's with Simona Hallett on court and, and put it out. It wasn't like breaking news or this is happening. And then Kim Kleisters, a very famous Belgian person, <laughs> very was, <much>. uh, working, <laughs> was working with us. <laughs> it's just for those people listening who maybe listen more for the ish than the tennis rather than telling right. you okay. <laughs> Kim Kleisters is... <laughs> It's good. It's good. I like the info. Don't assume I know anything. It's fine. <laughs> so, Kim Glyser's was with us for our small haps, really, Williams. And we'd asked, I'd asked her about this in the build-up. She said, oh, well, actually, Thierry came over and sat down with us for lunch the other day. And he said that he was going to be doing a bit of work with her. And she said, but I didn't realise it was going to be so soon or so public. And then she said, oh, I think he's going to sit the row behind the box. And there he was. So we just get on and that's, you know, coaching changes happen and everything like that. And halfway through the match, she said, Gigi, I don't know if you want to know this or you'll be bothered by this. And I thought, what have I done? I've just been sat here. She said, but you're currently trending in Belgium. <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, your tweet is being quoted with your name on Belgian news. Oh. Oh, wow. No way. <laughs> I felt, I'm going to say I felt very proud, um, but I was also, <laughs> I was also a little bit speechless. Hmm. I feel like the, the journalists for whatever news outlets there were in Belgium could have done a bit more work in corroborating the story and not just taking some random tweet and being like, oh, this is news. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, you're therefore saying I'm a random person. <laughs> oh, I don't know. How official are you? I don't know. You don't even have a blue tick. It could be anyone. <laughs> it's just below the belt. <laughs> I don't either. I don't have one. I'm far from official, but I was just saying what I saw. And, and there's also the tweet from Courtney and the WTA insider isn't going to flippantly quote people and stick things out there. So maybe there See, was See, now a that's more official. WTA insider, 100%. I'd take whatever she said and be like, bang, that's, that's newsworthy. Oh, thanks. 
<laughs> so, so I'm not official. I'm not a, I'm not newsworthy, and I'm also not trustworthy. <laughs> well, Belgium really seems trying- to think so. Yes, thank you, Belgium. <laughs> they me cover they might not care, but Belgium do. Um, <laughs> but then it was it was it was old news very quickly in the sense that because she was playing in the press conference afterwards, uh, she was asked the question and she said we're we're working together. There's nothing official. And she also said that she was not involved with the split with Goffin because obviously people thought, oh, I see. You know, Monday Goffin, Tuesday Halop. Well, it is very it was very quick, but I mean maybe the Goffin. And Van Klimput thing had kind of happened, but it just wasn't announced. I'm not sure, but it it was. I mean, it was only a, what a couple of days, or was it one day or two days? So it was quite yeah, quick. So was, you can understand the assumptions. I mean, I'm I'm sure she's right in what she's saying, but but then I guess at the same time, if you're a coach or a player, and you're looking for a new coach or a new player to coach, there's nowhere better than the Grand Slam because you're surrounded yep. by the, the best players in the world. So if something's going to happen, whether it be the player thinking, well, actually, I've got a few days now to speak to someone maybe I've had my eye on, or if you're a coach that suddenly thinks, well, I need a new player, oh, look where I am. <laughs> it's like a supermarket full of players. Um, that it's probably not the worst place for it to happen. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I agree definitely. I mean, you just basically if if you're if you're a coach and your relationship with the player is kind of coming to an end or it has come to an end, you just want to be around all the players, just letting people know that you're available, speaking to agents, letting them know that you're available and then you just kind of see what comes along. And do you know what? Simona Halep, world number 1. It's not a bad one to come along. Absolutely. And and a a side to this on Courtney's initial tweet having said I was eagle-eyed and she was going to make me a WTA insider. At the very bottom, just a very small line that was picked up was, apart from her dubious sandwich decisions, it was just a very small line at the bottom of a tweet. But boy, did that pick up pace. Before I knew it, I looked at Twitter, had all these people saying, how could you? That's terrible. That's disgusting. And it all came down to the fact that Courtney and I we don't always agree on food. And the other day I went to get a sandwich and you know, when you just feel a presence behind you and it's one of these build your own sandwiches. And I turned around and there was Courtney just standing quietly. She said, I'm observing your choices. I've never felt so (laughs) under pressure making a sandwich in my life. I was trying to block her from seeing what I was putting in the sandwich. And she was like, I'm just watching. I'm just observing. I felt under pressure. So then we were side by side building our sandwiches, our wraps. And I just happened to put mayonnaise in my wrap. Yep. And then I, I like to have it toasted because I just think I just Good. like a toasted sandwich. Courtney was aghast at the fact that I could have mayonnaise involved in a toasted form of a sandwich. I mean, aghast to the point of absolute disbelief. What? It, it, it made it onto this tweet. And all these people were... Uh, my producer out here even used the words, that's not cool. <laughs> to which I thought, I don't... Honestly... So Wait. I'd like, well, y- you haven't backed me on the trustworthy, newsworthy side of things. So no. I'm wondering where you stand on hot mayonnaise. But a mayonnaise <laughs> in a toasted sandwich is amazing. That's like, that's brilliant. You've nailed that. I would be in awe of your sandwich selection if that was, if that was what you were doing. I think that's awesome. So has anyone agreed with you? I'm massively in agreement. 
very few people there was there was maybe there was maybe one that said that or the one that said they'd put the mayonnaise on after the sandwich was toasted oh, so that's an interesting tactic you can understand that but in the world of gifts you wouldn't believe the amount of gifts i was getting of just people or cartoon characters or things just shaking their heads <laughs> at, at, at my at my sandwich choices i mean i was really i was very much i might have done well with the Thierry Van Klimput tweet, but the hot mayonnaise, suddenly if I had any credibility, it was shot down in flames <laughs> at, oh. uh, at my sandwich choices. Well, I, I'm backing you on this one. I'm, I'm, Thank I'm you. I'm 100% Camp Gigi. It, it's not that I like hot mayonnaise. It's just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, how, how hot does a toasted sandwich really get? Let's be honest. It just kind of gets a little bit crisp on the outside and that's all. It's exactly. not that bad. It's nothing warmed. It's fine. It's fine. People toast toast sandwiches with lettuce in it. Come on, it's fine. And oh, salad. Yes. I'm sorry, but soggy salad in a sandwich is. But it, I, I think you're right. It doesn't get. It was a little bit messy. I will admit, but I will stand by my sandwich. I have to say that if you hadn't gone with me on that one, I'm not sure where the future of this podcast <laughs> would have lay. <laughs> was no, standing strong together. Come okay, on. Okay, so we're, we're we're together. We're together on the hot mayonnaise. So that was. Uh, yeah, that seemed to get more traction than the actual tennis part of the tweet. But I mean, <laughs> that's absolutely. Now, you have you now finished working on the Australian Open from back home? Ish. I, I have a couple of days left. Uh, Friday and Sunday, I think. Last couple of days, um, doing some bits and bobs, bit of bit of dubs. I think some uh, ladies doubles, some mixed maybe. I I should know what I'm doing, but it's a few days away. <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a, a huge amount of matches being played. So I'll, I'll don't worry. I'll be ready for for them. <laughs> I'll know what I'm doing by the time <laughs> I start. But currently, I believe I'm doing some ladies doubles and mixed doubles. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It's good to know you're on it. Can I tell you about the uh, the? <laughs> oh, that's I know, stung. I know. My God. I know the I I know the hours have been challenging. <laughs> um, so temperature wise here, I don't know what it's like back home. I keep seeing articles saying things about snow and sleet and hail. Here, I think by Friday, and this is Tuesday morning my time. By Friday, we're going to hit forty degrees. Wow, nice. You, you don't look pleased. <laughs> Have you got just, a hat? Just sunglasses, cream, um, block, get the zinc stuff that you can put all over your face. But, you know, it's one of those things. We, we're lucky enough here that we can walk from where we're staying to site to Melbourne Park, which is really nice. You walk along the Yarra River. You can listen to, I don't know, podcasts or music or call home, although it's normally in the middle of the night. Um, but... It's 40 degrees and you've got your rucksack on full of your computer and your notes and all these things you've been preparing and your water or whatever. Honestly, you get to site and you are just dripping in sweat because you can't really dress for 40 degrees. It's not like you go on holiday and you're dressing for 40 degrees. You're still going to work. You know, you're not going to rock up at work in a bikini or sort of hot pants and a crop top, <laughs> which would be, which just be an awful well, sight thinking about it. you know, it's the Australian Open. You probably could. I mean, it's not Wimbledon. Come on, Australian Open is a bit more relaxed. Or a little bit more relaxed. But you've got to remember, you're then going into very efficiently uh, air-conditioned boxes mm -hmm. for most of the day. So it's like I went in yesterday wearing sort of trousers and a, and a top, but it's sort of summery looking. When I left at 
1.30 this morning, I was wearing a hooded top and a scarf. <laughs> and, and everyone around me thought I was crazy, but I'd been in a in sort of fridge-like conditions um, for quite a bit. But no, it's, it's great. It's, it's really nice to have... It's really nice to have the hot weather and also the tennis to match. I mean, I don't know if you've got a match or a person or a place you want to start. Well, I was just going to ask you because, I mean, you're obviously just rubbing it in with the weather. It's nice to have the hot weather. Nice to have the hot weather. It's great. I get all the jet lag <laughs> and none of the sunshine. I get it. <laughs> but getting back to the tennis. Lovely to talk to you. <laughs> oh, you you've I've been, missed you. You've been there eight days and you're unbearable, Gigi. <laughs> so smug with your sun cream and your sunglasses whatever i'm happy with my fair skin i'm happy it's minus it was minus five when i got in my car the other day it was middle of the night so um yeah we're probably getting ice off the, the windscreen so um you know but i feel the melbourne sunshine from within so that's okay. Well, it doesn't uh, sound like you feel the sunshine from within. <laughs> <laughs> well, tinged with a bit of bitterness, but yeah, whatever. No, do you know what? I very much enjoy my the the, the gig that I'm working on and uh, and what I'm doing. It's it's been such fun. Oh my word, Pablo Carreño Buster, what was going on there? I mean, we we need to start news. there because for people new to maybe people who maybe haven't listened to Naomi and I on ATP Tennis Radio if I talk a lot and follow a lot David Goffin for mm. you and this started at the tour finals <laughs> the year before last it's all about this lovely gentle mild mannered soul that wouldn't say boo to a goose Pablo Carreño Busta well it is but can I just say that this sort of the only words that are coming to my head are like infatuation and obsession, but no, none of those are accurate in any way. That's not what I mean at all. I'm not obsessed or infatuated. But the reason this link came about, it was kind of forced on me because... Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh now. No, 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 no. It was, well, it was forced on me by no, you. No, no, What? <laughs> I mean... Is there anything else you'd like to accuse me of today? <laughs> How on earth did I force Pablo Crinobusta on you? Because at, we were at the O2, yes. not the one just gone, the one before that, and he was there as an alternate, and we were asked to pick the winner of the event, and I picked Pablo Carreño Busta because I thought I was being very, very smart because he wasn't even in the tournament, and that would be the most incredible pick of all picks of all time. Uh, and we all were slightly questioning Rafa and whether he was going to complete his group. Um, and he didn't. He played a match, pulled out. Karenia Buster came in. I was so confident. He didn't win a match, which was a shame. But I picked him, I mean, a little bit because I thought it'd be funny to pick somebody who wasn't actually in the tournament. So, so far, I've had no involvement in this. I just like that stated on the record. <laughs> so far, I have had no involvement here. Right. Okay, fine. Fine. And anyway, and then... After that, it became it became a thing. It became a thing for every prediction for every Masters event. If I didn't pick Pablo Carreño Busta, everyone was just sending me emails, just just hurling abuse at me, saying, how could you give up on Carreño Busta? So I thought, okay, the clay court season came around. I thought, well, for sure, I've got to pick him through this, haven't I? It's a clay. It's his favourite surface. It's Carreño Busta. So I kept picking him and kept picking him and kept picking him. He didn't do well last year. He did not have a good year in comparison to the year before that, where he was he actually ended up playing at the O2. So I I kept picking him, and then I in the end I did I did drop him. It took a while. <laughs> you are. I think it might have been. You are brutal. 
close to US Open. And in anticipation of the abuse that I sent when I sent my that I was going to receive, when I sent my email with my picks, and it was the first time for the entire year that Pablo Carreño Buster was not on my picks, I just wrote a little note and I think I said something like, just remember, it's not the coach who drops the player. The players drop themselves. It was quite a damning view on Pablo Carreño Buster. And now he's doing well again. Yeah, but but you you dropped him, so I did. That's I felt awful. And, and I this, genuinely felt awful. I, Do you remember the conversations we were having like the night before? I was going, I don't know if I, I can getting, do this to him. I was getting messages <laughs> saying, "Can I do this? I'm not sure I can. I feel guilty." And this is the woman who said it wasn't an obsession, and it was my fault. <laughs> you said, "You said I, I don't know if I could. Can I not put him in?" But it is one of those things. If you've picked someone because we have a choice of three, have sort of one, two, three, how they'll do in, in the Masters event. If you pick some for all of them and suddenly you don't, it's like you buy a lottery ticket every week. The week you don't, your numbers yeah. would have come up and you would have won millions. It's it's. But I have to say that last night he was up against Kei Nishikuri, <laughs> Nishikuri, who I have decided is going to win the tournament because he's played really? 18 sets. <laughs> really? He's played, listen to this, he's played 18 sets of tennis... Right, and, and that's in, that's another reason why he would in, win the tournament in in four Are you rounds. Sure? His his first his his first round, he was two sets love down against the qualifier. Only came through because the qualifier cramped so badly he couldn't move. Second round, he was two sets up on Ivo Karlovic and had to come through in five. Then he had a nice time of it in the third round, and then. Last night, he was two sets love down against Pablo Carreño Busta. He came through to win in a super tiebreak in over five hours. But the, the, the thing was here, there was some controversy on a point in the super tiebreak where Pablo Carreño Busta feels the decision went against him. At this point, he was 8-5 up in the super tiebreak to the point when he was yelling. He was screaming at the umpire. I have never seen oh, he lost it. anything like this. He completely lost it. And then he lost the concentration. And then he lost the match. He lost the rest of that super tiebreak. He stormed off the court, didn't shake the hand of the chair umpire. Nearly, it was nothing to do with Nishikuri, but he nearly went past Nishikuri, stopped and shook his hand. He then screamed as he grabbed his stuff and ran off court. I and mean, there's a there's a picture that I sent you on social media that is incredible. And then, bless him, he burst into tears in his press conference and he said, it's not me. And of course, you know, I'd, I'd been on court for over five hours and emotions were running high, but it's not me. And I apologize. And that's terrible. And I should not have left the court like that. And he was playing some sensational tennis against Nishikori. And, and if things hadn't been different, I do believe he would have gone on to win that match. But, but, but wow. Uh, but it was, it was so, it was so sad to see him and then in tears in the press conference. Because the other thing we've got to remember is that you guys as players, you're pretty much, you know, you've got to get in and speak to the press. You don't have, what, do you have a time limit with which to come into press after your match? 45 minutes normally, they tell you. So if you've gone through what he went through over five hours for a place in the quarterfinals, it was effectively in your racket, eight, five up, first to 10 points. And then you don't have that much time to process it. And suddenly you're sitting in front of the media. And of course, the first question is going to be about what happened at the end. I, I, I do mm. think that's really difficult for players. Yeah, but hang on emotions. a minute. Hang on a minute. I mean, he was entirely wrong in what he was getting annoyed <laughs> about. I mean, entirely wrong. He has, he has one element of truth. So what happened was he hit this kind of neck cord drop shot, landed on the sideline. 
Uh, Nishikori came in, hit a winner, and it was then called out really late. And Karenibus was like on the other side of the court. The point was over. But then he challenged, which doesn't really make any sense because he'd lost the point either way. So either the ball's out, which it was called out very late, and he's lost the point, or the ball was in, but he's lost the point anyway. So I don't really know why the umpire allowed him to challenge. But anyway, so he was allowed to challenge. And then it was shown to be in. And then he was told that he lost the point because even though it was in, he lost the point because Nishikori hit a winner, a clean winner by metres, metres. He was not close. And then he just lost the plot. And he said that, you know, the the call came before the shot and he was wrong. Um, and he just got really, really angry. And, uh, and you know, so, I mean... He was very wrong, but he was also very sorry. He really was, wasn't he, in his press conference? It was very, it was, it was tough to watch because, I mean, you know, you've been out there, you've been at it, as you say, for that long, and it is frustrating because now all anyone's going to talk about is that instead of the five hours that were absolutely sensational. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was, it was mad to see him get like that, especially when he's been playing really well. He's been playing so well. He's normally quite. I don't know, just pretty chilled out. It looks quite unflappable. Um, but it's nice to see him back doing well plenty of players back doing well Milos as well now before <laughs> before <laughs> before before Karenio Buster for me there was of course Milos and I started liking Milos Raonic a lot because you know people I was hearing a lot of things from fans and some of my friends that work in tennis or don't work in tennis or just watch tennis or family members that they all think he was quite boring and I thought that was really unfair. The guy's very interesting. He goes to art galleries all the time. He has deep and you know fascinating conversations. He's very clever. Okay, his game is quite methodical, but so is every so is loads of, so loads of players. Anderson, Djokovic, you can name loads of players who are like that. And it's they 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 play the percentages. They play a very basic, very simple game, but they do it so effectively. So I started defending him and then it just kind of grew into this thing. And then he was in the final of Wimbledon. So then, of course, I was like, well, I'm going to support him. That's going to be awesome. I think it's, I think he's, yeah, his game style, it, you put him in that bracket with Djokovic, but I, I could watch Djokovic play a lot more than I could Raonic. Well, yeah, but Djokovic That's is fair. a different level and Djokovic is a different game style. But what I meant is that they're both quite that they both their games operate really on rules and you know what they're going to do at each time you know that on this shot they're going to do this and they're going to do that there's there is is not a massive amount of flamboyance apart from with Djokovic when he's on the defense where he's absolutely sensational which does add another element to it I I do agree in terms of watching a game style Djokovic is uh, uh, a bit more fun but that's because he's a bit more capable he's won Loads of grand slams. Raonic hasn't. He's a different league of player. Um, I have to say, Raonic like is he gets a bit. He gets a bit too much stick. I th- I like him. He's 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 lovely to speak to Milos Raonic. As you say, you can talk to him about art galleries, and if you speak to him in Melbourne, he will have been to art galleries. He makes the most of his time. He gets out there. He has he has a view on things, and and you know that when you sit down with him, it's going to be. It's going to be an interesting conversation and you don't just have to talk about tennis if you don't want to. He is, I've always found from when I've started watching him, he's quite robotic. I Sometimes I feel Milos Raonic, it's almost like they wake up in the morning and they put the, the chip in, the chip that says play match. And he's play <laughs> match Raonic. And then on an off day, they put sort of practice chip in and then he's practice chip Raonic. I mean, everything from the hair, the hair moves a little bit more now, but the hair didn't used to move at all and, oh, and the clothes I mean, solid. It's, it's 
It's rock solid. And I think it's got a Twitter account. Definitely the arm sleeve he wore has a Twitter account. And the gum shield he wore. But he's one of those people that when he, like Andy Murray, when he hangs up his rackets, he can be happy and safe from the knowledge that he squeezed every single ounce of talent. He tried everything. He looked into everything to maximise the talent that is Milos Raonic. The, the partnership with Goran Ivanisevic it seems to be working really, really well. He said, look, they can communicate easily. They speak the same language. And he's looked very relaxed, as relaxed as he can look. Um, he's looked very relaxed. But I think with that Zverev match, how on earth? I wasn't covering the match against Zverev, who's the world number four. I was doing some bits and pieces. I suddenly logged onto my computer and I saw 6-1-6-1 round it. And only think, right. Um, and then I saw a quote from John McEnroe saying, at this point, he would have lost in the first round of qualifying. It is that bad. And then, and it's not something we encourage. I didn't see that. Racket smash. Said that. Yeah, the end wow. of the second set. And then there's a racket smash to end all racket smashes. I did see that. Have you seen it? Oh, I did see Nine that. Nine crunches. I mean, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And he did it. I mean, that, and not only, I think Ben Rothenberg said it should be nominated for Racket Smash of 2019. I think we yeah. just give him the prize now because I cannot see any Racket Smash coming close. But it, it comes back, doesn't it, to the discussion that we've had loads of times on ATP Tennis Radio about Zverev and he's mastered the three-set format, but there seems to be some kind of mental block, lack of concentration, something when it comes to doing it consistently over a best of five sets. Yeah, I mean, his his level was, was poor for him. I mean, you've got to hold him to the standards that, that he has. He's been number three in the world. I mean, he just won the biggest ATP tour event in London at the end of the year. And he beat Djokovic in the final to do it. So it's, you know, he is operating at that level. And he, yeah, I mean, it's just really disappointing. It's, it's not to take anything away from Raonic. That's a tough match. I mean, Raonic has had a brutal draw. I mean, it's been crazy. But... And Raonic is playing really very well, but I mean, Zverev got how many times do you get broken in a row? Like five times or something? Or you got three times in a row in the first set? I, I don't know. It's just all over the place. I mean, it's one thing, you know, losing some tight sets to Raonic because he's going to hold serve well when he's playing well, but you can't get broken that many times. Not if you're you're Zverev. I don't know what's going on. I really thought that he was going to kind of get it together this year in slams. People are talking about the fact, well, Sitsipas is doing well. Maybe he doesn't like that because he's not the only young gun around now. And they're all catching him up rapidly. And actually, there are a few of them who have done better than him in slams. So Sitsipas has done better than him. Chung has done better than him. Rublev did well, has done better than he's ever done in the US Open. It's great to see like Tsitsipas, another of the, the young guys that we've been, because we cover the, the next-gen tournament, we've been following these guys quite closely. It's really nice to see them coming through. It is really nice to see them coming through. It is about time. I'm, of course, a you know, massive fan of what the, the top guys have done. And, of course, Federer is still going to a, an extraordinarily high level, but you've got to be thinking best of five sets. I mean, the guy's 37 years old. Seven best of five set matches. I mean, they're just these young guys. Sits a pass is very. I mean, they have to be beating him consistently in these matches. It just they just need to be. You know, I I get that Federer is unbelievable, and also I think the big difference is that he plays the moments incredibly well, and they're young, so maybe slightly inexperienced with the big moments. That's what he is better than anyone at, and maybe that's why he still does so well against them. But. 
But on the whole, I mean, sits past walking into that match. He's beaten him in a best of three set match before, so he knows how to do it. And when you go into best of five set match, that should favour the younger ones more. That's what I'm trying to say. Because it's always been the situation of like, oh, well, you might beat Federer in a best of three set match if you play really well. But I mean, go to a slam, best of five, you've got no chance because he's just so clinical on the big moments and that sort of thing but now surely that has to change it's still the same against Djokovic you'd much rather play him in best of three than best of five and probably the same against Rafa as well I mean best of five against Rafa I mean can you think of anything worse (laughs) to try and do (laughs) but with Fed I mean surely that's shifted now surely you've got a better chance against him in best of five than best of three. Do you see what I mean? Just because of the body, we've seen him get tired. We saw him lose to Anderson at Wimbledon because he got tired towards the end of that match. Um, and as you say, once pass was two sets to one up, you thought, surely, surely this is done now. And it's not it's not to say that Fed can't win them, but I think if, you know, if they're taking sets and extending the match, you know, I think really that whole group, you know, Edmund, Hashanov, Medford, all of them have got to be feeling like, yeah, okay, great, best of five. Let's make this as long as we can. We're up for it and ready to go. But Sitsipas was brilliant. Yeah, wasn't he brilliant? Loved it. Did you did you see the moments of the announcement onto court of Serena Williams and <gasps> Simona Halep. Now, oh, normally, why? largely, you come out in your ranking order. So the higher player will come out second. Yes. The announcement starts and there's an our commentary box. We're looking to the right and I've got Kim Kleist alongside me. And, we're, and we've been saying, right, here comes Serena Williams down the corridor first because she's the, the lower of the two seeds in this instance, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. and so then they're waiting and I don't know what happens or who makes the decision but it was please welcome out onto the court the world number one Serena Williams pops out the tunnel realises does a swift U-turn and and, <laughs> and back she goes and out out comes a, a smiling Simona Hallett but it was interesting because Serena Williams walks along the tunnel first which would suggest that it was going to be the lower of the two ranked players comes out first, but then the announcer brings out Simona Halep. Yeah, I do you know what actually happened in the end? I, I mean I imagine the announcer got it wrong. Just read out well, the wrong the only one other first. Thing, well the only other thing I thought was because Serena Williams is a seven time champion here, which is amazing, that could be a reason why she would have been brought out second. I, I but as you say, maybe just the wrong but it was. But the other thing, Kim Kleiser said she made a good point because Serena Williams had the headphones on, and Kim Kleiser said, "Well, it tells us that the music wasn't that loud, or maybe there was no music at all mm. because she heard as she came out." I, I didn't actually think about it. I was still confused as to who was walking out and, and what was being said. But no, I, I haven't heard the reason why. Whether it was a genuine mistake or there are the odd occasions aren't there at certain tournaments where it won't go to seeding because of maybe it's someone's last time or they've done something wonderful there and that's the only other thing Mm -hmm. I thought it but that's something else for people if they haven't seen it so two things to look up on social media is the racket smash of Sasha Zverev and and then the walkout the walkout of Serena's and also but I I was kind of in agreement with Kim in that I can't believe that she was so switched on you know she's like in the zone headphones on okay maybe there's no music in the headphones but you know you're in the zone and and I, I, I just don't know if you'd be paying that much attention you've been told to go out first so you just kind of go out first and also she realized as soon as I said world number one 
which also, I mean, she's been world number one quite a lot for quite a lot of her career. So it's not like it's an abnormal thing to be associated. It's not like they said the Romanian and she went, oh, wait, that's not me. (laughs) So she was, yeah, she was probably switched on. (laughs) She just ran back in the tunnel. (laughs) It was, it was, it was quite a sweet moment. Um, It was embarrassing. It would be, it would have been awkward if she hadn't realised if she'd have just kept walking because she probably wasn't listening that much or something. And, and sort of waving badly. at everyone. And, but it was... Yeah. And then, <laughs> then Simona Halep. Uh, well, <laughs> and then the 20-minute first set went badly for Simona Halep, who said, look, I just... I just, It was so hard and I couldn't hit anything in court. And we suddenly thought, well, hang on a second. We've built this up as a huge match. And, and it, it, it turned into one. I mean, the third set between the two was absolutely stunning. Um, credit for Simona Halep for staying in it because that could have gone away so quickly. And then credit for Serena Williams, because Hallett was doing some of her defensive best and Serena Williams was able to counter it. And you would be maybe a little silly now to bet against her winning title here, number eight. Or do you still have someone else who you think is going to... Because Angelique Kerber was my pick who got dismissed by Daniel Collins. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's beaten Hallett world number one and she hasn't played number one in in some time um we were looking at um well I was looking at her results since she's come back and she's only lost to unbelievable players she hasn't lost to anyone who's not even I mean average is an awful word to use about the the best tennis players in the world and I and I never would but but not even kind of players ranked in the 20s or 30s but like no one who's not unbelievable. She's basically lost to like Osaka, Kvitova, Venus, Conta. And that that's kind of just maybe Kazakina she lost to, I think. But that's kind of it. <laughs> that's, they're the only people that she loses to. Um, so it, it, it's quite extraordinary. But she's beaten Simona Halep, world number one. And also Halep, who's so solid and will make her run because, of course, you know, the physicality. I mean, she's talked about it. She talks about it on social media quite a lot, how, you know, she's still trying to get back in shape, which is just the most hilarious thing ever. She's made two finals of Grand Slams and is here in the Australian Open saying, yeah, I'm still trying to get back in shape. Right, sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think you're in quite good shape, but, you know... Just guessing, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's Serena, isn't she? And and for all of you know what she talks about in her um, on court interviews, which can sometimes, I don't know, they can sometimes come across maybe not in the right way. I think you know, she she said something the other day about her being a fighter and never giving up. I mean, she's not wrong, and she said like, oh, and that's. She said, I think that's really admirable. And, you know, she's saying that about herself and it could come across as being kind of quite arrogant. But, I mean, she's right. It's incredibly admirable what she does. I mean, the way that she fights. I mean, there's there's no no need to do it. She doesn't have to. She could have stopped years ago. She wants that record now, though. It's well, always yeah. interesting that that um, Courtney Nguyen actually said this in the build-up and we talked to Kim Kleist about it, that it feels like now it's really out there. And she said, look, I, I want Margaret Court's record, which she's one Grand Slam title away from getting. She wants to break it. That she's really, not that she's forgetting the other parts to her game, but she is really working on the power. She's just blasting people off court because she can. She can't do that every time, 
But Courtney says it's almost like she's going back to basics. She is a power player. She has a brutal serve. She has massive weight of shot. And she's really going back to basics in this quest to get that record. Yeah, and do you know what? The beginning part of her career, that's what she was and that's what she did. She was just power, raw power. I say just. It was it was a power that I don't think we'd ever seen in this sport or in, a, in across most sports, to be honest. It was extraordinary to watch and everybody fell apart. I mean, remember Hingis and Henan and like no one knew what to do. I think Henan in the end got the hang of it, but uh, no one knew how to handle what she was bringing. And then one of the things that she deserves a lot of credit for is that through her career, she had to evolve because the rest of the field go away and try and work out a way to counter it. And then she started developing her movement. And then, okay, a couple of years ago, before she had her break to um, to have her child, we would see her playing shots f- on the full splits doing a slide you know like Djokovic does I mean she had phenomenal movement and then on top of that then she built in some really great hand skills okay not the best hand skills in the world but really developed them and the player that that she was up until when she had up to when she had her break and the player that she was at the beginning of her career were vastly vastly different and then maybe as you say she and as, as Courtney was saying she's just gone back to her roots what is comfortable for her it's what she knows inside out all of the other stuff was kind of icing on the cake but actually she won loads of slams executing a really simple game plan and maybe that that other part the hand skills and the movement will come back every point I watch a play I mean it's just so impressive now while I always love talking to you apart from the beginning of the podcast when you called me untrustworthy and unreliable (laughs) I don't think I use those words (laughs) I think it was similar to those words I'm going to have to leave you soon because it's um, not just to go out into the sunshine in Melbourne but I've rediscovered the the green drinks because over here they are green unlike when I make them that they don't look green at all (laughs) so it's time to I'm trying to be healthy while I'm out here in the sunshine with green drinks so I'm off to start another day giving giving it a go so I'm off to head in for another day I'm working on TFO Nadal later which I'm very excited nice. about nice that'll be great which will be a lot be of fun explosive. you're going to get some sleep and then mm-hmm. next time we're actually going to be together same time zone same place same everything which feels like a long way away but it's it's actually going quite quickly yeah it, uh, slams are like that aren't they it's odd it, it sometimes it can feel like it's going slowly and then you kind of pop your head up and you, wait what quarterfinals my word no it's it's, it's mad uh, I was just going to ask you about have you found well I know you found because I've seen pictures about the what about your koalas and your kangaroos have you been hanging you out you were very <clears throat> you were very rude about Pepe the ring-tailed possum and a lovely cute little picture I, I <laughs> what did I say what did you say Pepe looked like? Yes, you were. You said. <laughs> I think you've remembered that you likened Pepe's nose to something that I was quite shocked by, Amy Cavaday. <laughs> um, <laughs> poor little Pepe the possum. If you had to choose between Pepe the possum or the Jet the kangaroo or Frankie the koala, gosh, my memory here is doing quite well. Yeah. Or a, sca- or a scaly lizard thing. Which I think I think he was called Stumpy. 
which put me off him a little bit. Right. Okay, which, well, he's which, out. which would you, which would you, which, which would you choose out of that selection of animals? Well, obviously, Jet the kangaroo. Not the koala. No, I, he, I don't think koalas are that cute. You've seen the size of his nose. Well, how does that not? You can be cute with a big nose. <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't quite, I don't quite get the koala thing. I'm not going to lie. You know the one thing that I didn't realise about koalas, and because I don't really hang out with them much, they they smell quite a lot, and so I did the usual. Oh, can I have a selfie with a koala? Obviously, and you get close and you think, oh, wow, I hope we get this first time because they're quite pungent creatures. <laughs> mm. But the, the the kangaroo was cute. It was a baby kangaroo jet who was six months old and I held him. But apparently he best, he's right? going to grow. Yeah, uh, Surely. I like, I like the possum. It's a bit weird because they're called ring-tailed because... The bottom of their tail, they've got no fur. It's just skin. This feels a bit creepy. Sounds a bit creepy. And they, they grip like little suckers on the end of their tail, like an octopus tentacle. They grip onto the end of your finger or branch so they can hang from it, which was the feeling was a little bit weird when suddenly this little tail curled around your finger in a vice-like grip. Mm. Um, but Pepe, Pepe was quite sweet. He was quite quiet. I think he... Oh, there was a wombat. I can't remember what the Ooh. wombat was called. There was a big old, big old wombat. Wally? Which? Wally the wombat. No, it wasn't called Wally the wombat. <laughs> it wasn't called Wally the wombat. I don't think so. But And there was a python, which I was about as far that away pass. from as possible. I mean, it was, people had it around their necks and I just, I couldn't, no. So, the, but the kangaroo grows to six foot on its toes when it's nice. big which I thought was, but it was absolutely tiny. But it was it was very nice. So you'd go for the kangaroo. You'd go for Jet the yeah. Kangaroo, would you? What would you choose? I mean, you've actually met them. Who was the I, best company? There's something about the possum. There's something about the, I, I wouldn't know, that slightly freaked me out with the tail thing and the eyes were bright well, the red. Possum, that was the slightly... possum was very cute. I mean, just uh, the nose just reminded me of a, it was pink and fleshy. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pink. <laughs> Not, 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 not quite the words you used to describe it to me, but we'll, we'll take pink and fleshy. I think it was the bright red eyes. He looked like he had had a really heavy night out on the town and had yeah. these massive sort of bloodshot <laughs> eyes. So I think Pepe probably would. You know, what? I think it's the koala. I know they're a little bit smelly, but I like the fact that they're very chilled out. And they're very laid back and they're just sort of hanging around and people can take selfie after so like the kangaroo was trying jet was trying to lick me kiss me nibble me that's nice kind of cute at first well no come on at first it's cute but then i'm like you need to stop eating me whereas whereas frankie the koala just very chilled we had a picture together didn't move looked at the camera so i think i i still have a soft spot for a koala i think that's a terrible choice but you, you've made it. You're going to have to live with it. So, so I'll end on a positive note. And maybe, maybe in a future podcast, I'll persuade Naomi to tell you what she really thought Pepe the Possum's nose reminded her of. I think everybody can take a good stab at it. <laughs> I had no clue until you actually spelled it out. <laughs> and now, sadly, I can't look at the photos of Pepe the Possum. 